We are this morning continuing in the book of Acts uh, in our journey, and we come to today one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite churches in the book of Acts. It is the church in Antioch. Uh, this church, uh, just to set it up a little bit for you, is considered by many theologians and biblical scholars as the launching pad for worldwide missions. So obviously, as a missionary, I could get excited about that. There's, there's something about being able to go and tell the good news of Jesus throughout the world, to share that news. And, and we see that happening here in the church in Antioch. But I'm going to tell you, as much as I get excited about mission, and as much as I am excited about that component of the church, the thing that encourages me most about this church in Antioch was that this was the place where followers of Jesus were first called Christians. That's cool. It happened in this congregation. People began to call those followers of Jesus Christians. Now, there, there were those who, who believed in Jesus. There were those who had followed Jesus, those who had been changed by Jesus. But up until this point, no one had been called a Christian. And so here it is in this church of Antioch, the first occasion where people are called Christians. So we have to ask the question, why? Why here and why now? The answer, I believe, is actually very simple. The answer is because the members of the church in Antioch looked and acted like Jesus. The meaning of the word Christian is one who looks and acts like Jesus. It's actually a well-known fact that people resemble the people they, they spend time with. They hang around the most. Actually, there's a resemblance. It starts to happen, which is one of the reasons we, we tell our children, don't hang out with bad influences. And maybe you remember hearing that as a kid. And if you're a parent, uh, Donnie and Timmy, you're going to get this into your vocabulary eventually. Don't hang out with that crowd. We don't want our children to resemble that particular group. Uh, we want our children to be around good influences while we bring them to church, while we, while we are part of our Christian family. Because over time, people resemble the people they spend time with. And apparently, it is not just people we resemble. A few years ago, the University of California conducted a study, and they realized that people and their dogs often look alike. Now, this is, this is actually true. They had a, a panel of judges that they were able to match 16 out of 25 dogs with their appropriate owners. I mean, that's quite amazing, actually. It makes, makes you wonder, do people choose dogs that look like them, or do dogs and people sort of morph together over time? Well, the researchers, they had an answer. The reason for this is, they say, is that dog owners tend to choose pets with similar traits. The study showed that the similarities between pets and their people uh, are both physical and personality traits. Well, it seems that happy, outgoing, affectionate dogs tend to be owned by warm and happy and out 
going people. And that hairless, stubby-nosed, short-tailed animals are owned by, well, you get the idea. <laughs> when one Chicago newspaper ran this story, they actually had photos of people with their dogs, and the similarities are amazing. Were you, are, you, are the pictures up on the dogs? Not yet. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we are. All right, I think we got how many pictures? Four? There's four pictures that uh, sort of illustrates the point. There's one, two, three, and maybe our last one. There we go. All right, all, all laughing and joking aside, it is true. We do tend to resemble those in which we spend time with. And therefore, as Christians, we should have a likeness to the Christian family. That's why the believers in Antioch were called Christians. They looked and acted like Jesus. And that's what we read this morning from Acts chapter 11. I invite you to turn in uh, your Bible, or if you have one on your phone, um, we're going to read Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 30. From verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great, number, great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. We pick up the story where we left off last week. If you, if you remember the story, how Peter had courageously reached out to Cornelius to share the good news of Jesus. It was, it was an occasion where Peter, a Jewish, a good Jewish uh, person, reached across the boundaries, across the, the, the distance to a Gentile. It was quite the occasion. Now, we need to remember, though, 
uh, in the context of what's happening in chapter 11, what happened in chapter 8. So we're going to flash back a little bit uh, to tell you, uh, remind you about Acts chapter 8, because in Acts chapter 8 is the story of Stephen. And Stephen was the first the first follower of Jesus who died as a martyr for his faith in Christ. He was put to death. And after that occasion, you remember, the church scattered. And they went out, they went throughout the region. And, and it began, Christianity began to spread. Those who were in Jerusalem went to other parts of the Roman Empire. And so now we discover, back to Acts chapter 11, in verse 19, that many of those people traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now, we have to remember, this is really important in the context, that these were Jewish believers. These were believers who hadn't yet heard of Peter's encounter with Cornelius. The word hadn't gotten out yet. There was no Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, it's true, uh, back in those days, they didn't have those things. And so the word spread slowly. So this congregation way over in Antioch didn't know that Jewish Christians were actually sharing the good news with Gentile Christians, that it was now okay to do that. They didn't get the memo because there was no member, but what they did get was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to work in them and through them in the most amazing ways. And here's the surprise. In Luke, in, as he tells the story through Acts, indicates that some of them began sharing the gospel to Gentiles. He says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Here is a powerful thing, because here we see that the church is looking and acting like Jesus. The church was, was going to people who were not like them. They were crossing cultural boundaries. They were leaving their comfort zones to tell others about the good news of Jesus. It was a cultural engagement mentality. Everything, if you think about it, had been working up to this point, almost like three steps in a ladder. First of all, you got the story of Philip. When Philip reached out to the Samaritans, uh, remember, Samaritans were, were a bit of a stretch for the Jewish people because they were, they were hated people. Uh, a lot of cultural prejudice there. But, but Samaritans were at least half Jewish. And so it was like a little baby step to the outside world. And then we get the story of, of Peter reaching out to Cornelius. But, but if you remember that story, it wasn't that Peter had this great idea to go reach Cornelius. It was actually the Holy Spirit prompted Cornelius to go to Peter. And so Peter responds, he shares the faith with Cornelius, but, but it really wasn't his initiative. He simply followed the work of the Holy Spirit. So that was step two. And then step three happens right here in Acts chapter 11. The church actually takes the initiative. They step out of their comfort zone. They, they share the good news of Jesus with people who are not like them. Oh, this is exciting. They were willing to go. This is a go moment in the, in the scriptural story. The good news of Jesus was shared to people who were broken and poor and at different backgrounds, people who were coming from worldly perspectives. The Antioch Christians didn't withdraw from people who 
did not yet understand the gospel. Instead, they became the light of Christ in the midst of them. Now, this, I believe, is really important for us as an international community, as an international church. It's no surprise that we all come from different cultures and backgrounds. And so we have opportunities in front of us. Uh, in fact, that may be our only opportunity is to step across cultural boundaries, to leave our comfort zones, to, to stretch in what it means to get to know people in our community. Here it is. Here's the, here's the occasion. It is an opportunity to move beyond our comfort zones, to sometimes get a little messy with our lives in order to share the good news with people who need to hear it. I believe that this is usually the intention of every brand new church, that a church is born with the idea of reaching out, of sharing the good news with others. But unfortunately, what tends to happen over time is that churches who start out with the best of intentions, looking outward, wanting to make a difference in their community, willing to cross comfort zones after a moment of time, of some kind of time, Something happens, and the churches begin to look inward. They begin to, to focus on themselves. Pastor Charles Swindoll shares a, an allegory that is very fitting. So imagine for a, for a moment a sea coast. You're on the, on the coast, and it's a very dangerous. And this particular coast was very dangerous because there were a lot of rocks, and there were shipwrecks. And so they were a group of people. They gathered together, and they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to save people who were in danger, who were lost out in the, the sea coast. And so selflessly, they got together. They put a, a little station together. They, they got a little rowboat, and they, they would, a few of them would go out, and they would risk their lives to save people who were caught in the, the currents and who had struck the rocks. They were out there saving people. And, and soon they would bring these people and, and the people who were saved, well, they wanted to help too. And so they, they worked together and that little life-saving station, it, it began to grow. And, and they were able to get a few more boats and train the crews. And, and before long, they were, there were several people out in the waters saving people who needed help, who needed to be saved. The little life-saving station began to grow, and, and some of the members were unhappy that the life-saving station was unattractive and poorly equipped. So they, they wanted something that was more appropriate, more comfortable. And so the emergency cots were replaced with nice furniture. The, uh, the building was painted and improved to be more comfortable. They added cushioned seats and and when it was, was finished, the, the life-saving station had become a very popular gathering place. As the appearance of the life-saving station changed, so did its purpose, unfortunately. It was more of a clubhouse than a life-saving station. Saving lives, feeding the hungry, making a difference in the lives of people who were out there caught in the waters became less of a priority. They weren't interested so much in going out into the dangerous waters. Instead, they hired professionals to do the work. Professional life 
boat crews came in and they, they went out and they brought people in. But then the people in the, the station, the, the clubhouse, if you may, they began to not like it so much because the people who were coming in were wet. Sometimes they were dirty. They weren't like everybody else. And so they, they decided they were going to build a shower house outside. And that way the people could get cleaned up before they made it into the station. Some of the people over time wanted to stop life-saving activities altogether. It was just too costly. They thought they had forgotten their purpose. And over time, fewer and fewer people wanted to be part of it. Over time, membership declined. And over time, all that remained was an empty building. It's a sad story, isn't it? In fact, if you look in many places in our world today, you'll see empty church buildings. It's no surprise. It's a true story too often, but it doesn't have to be our story. That's the part that is exciting to me. It doesn't have to be our story if we look and act like Jesus. If we look like the one who was willing to leave the 99 behind to go out and save the one that was lost. If we look like the one who took up the towel and washed the disciples' feet when it should have been the other way around. If we look and act like the one who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but, but rather he made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we look and act like Christians, Christians we will be. When we look and act like that, like Jesus, Christians we will be. That's what happened in the church in Antioch. In our passage, we read about a guy by the name of Agabus. Uh, he predicted that a famine would come into the, the Roman world. And, and so the church rose to the occasion. They were moved to make a difference. They didn't want to just observe. They didn't want to wait and see. Instead, they prepared uh, to make a difference. And so the church did what churches often do. They took a collection. Apparently, it was a good collection because they, they sent uh, resources to people who were in need, people who needed help, and people in Judea of all places which, by the way, would have mostly been Jewish believers. You've got a Gentile, see what's happening here? Gentile congregation sending help to a mostly Jewish Christian congregation. And here's the, here's the, uh, the amazing thing, is the famine relief ministry of the church reveals the character of the believers. These believers were generous. These believers were sacrificial. These believers were willing to take risks. These believers were willing to be uncomfortable. They were willing to mess up their nice little neat lives in order to make a difference for the kingdom because they were looking and acting like Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing this morning. I hope you're ready for this. You're all sitting down. You are. It is actually our nature when we are followers of Jesus. It, it becomes our nature to resemble Jesus. Can you believe that? We could call it a family resemblance. 
The Gospel of John in the first chapter says, Yet to all who did this, to receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, it changes everything about you. You have a heavenly father who will never let you down. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are with you on the journey. You have an inheritance and a promise of eternal life. And you have the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you. And that makes you a different person. It is noticeable in every area of your life, the way you live, the way you work, even the way you take vacation, the way you rest. People see it in your eyes. They see it in your heart. It is a deep-rooted belief that God is at work and that people in our world are worth saving. And even though there are ups and downs in life, challenges and blessings, that through it all, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. You see, when you are someone's child, you don't just belong to them, you resemble them. It is the power of family likeness. Once you've been born of God through the Holy Spirit, you have the life of God within you and you will be like him. It's not just DNA that gets passed down. It's values and habits and passions of the family that get passed on to you as well. So the question this morning is this. Who do you resemble? What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you have a heart like his? A heart that cares for people. For people who are missing from the family of God. People who are missing, no matter how long they've been gone, no matter how far they seem to be, no matter how far they've drifted, no matter what condition they are in right now, does your heart, is your heart moved in compassion for these people who really matter? It's worth remembering when you think about the people surrounding your life, your friends, your neighbors, your family, all these people that God has put in your life, God has a purpose for you because he wants to use you to make a difference. Jesus says to those of us who would follow him, even if it requires leaving our comfort zone, even if it means disturbing our comfortable, predictable, controllable lives, even if it means rubbing up against people who are different than us, we must cast our net on the other side of the boat, even if we reach just one person, that that life is worth it. Do you live with that sense of mission? Has the heart of Christ been formed in you that people would call you Christian? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this example, this church we read about. We're thankful that you have given us an example of faith to follow, uh, an example of what it means to live on mission. We're thankful that you won't let us 
settle and be comfortable and be inward focused, but yet you are pressing us on to be like you, to be outward focused, to be out there, to be making a difference here, even here in Debertson, in our university, in our places of work, in our, in our housing developments, in our dormitories, in our cities, in our world, in, in our community, Lord. We pray that you would continue to keep us focused outward so that we are a part of your work, bringing and sharing the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the call, the opportunity, and the hope that you give. We are not the same in you. We are different. We thank you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.